Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Slightly different start than usual. Uh, just thought I'd let you know, we will probably not be on Brum Radio again anytime soon, as we've decided to part creative ways. But Geeky Brummy will still always be your weekly podcast covering geek, pop culture, what's going on in the local area, and a little bit of idiocy thrown in. So, thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast. And see you in a sec. Weird news. Right, going to keep it shorter this week. We'll pick one out of the three stories. First one from no, from, <laughs> from taskandpurpose.com. Technician accidentally fires Vulcan cannon and destroys F-16 on the ground in Belgium. <laughs> what? Okay. Second one from Reuters.com. Dwarf goats make the party scene in Los Angeles. I think I know which one I want. They sound amazing. And the third one is not loading, which was British couple gets drunk by his hotel this on honeymooning, which was from Fox News. But bitter old couple what? British couple get drunk by hotel. I've I've done I mean, wilder things there. than that. Like, yeah. That's not weird. Yeah, right. I, I want to hear about those goats. So yeah, jet fighter or goats? Of the site. Goats. Goats. I'll go with either. We'll go with goats. Uh, this is from Jane Ross. She has got a link to her Twitter. Is that a real enough name for you, Keith? We'll, we'll investigate. Yes. Very generic. From Reuters. Spanky and Pippin are literally party animals in the Los Angeles nightlife scene. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> the Los Angeles nightlife scene. Like Spanky and Pippin. <laughs> you think uh, that's just the nicknames of two gay men who live in West Hollywood. <laughs> I feel like Cowan could pull off the name Pippin. Do you not think? <laughs> he does look like he has escaped from Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. The Nigerian dwarf goats are professional partygoers bringing their special brand of magic to city celebrations and starry soirees. This is not close to type situation, is it? So-called goat mom, Scout Raskin, a lifelong animal lover and former child actor, set up Party Goats LA in early 2017 and charges $99 an hour to bring her goats to a party or an event. Can I just stop that? So a former child star... Yes, lifelong presum- animal lover. ...who's presumably got a lot of money, yes. decides to waste money... By setting up Party Goat Enterprise. Right, okay. It's the first so time, far, so true. It's the first time I've ever heard of a lady called Scout. Because that's usually like an American boy name. But isn't um, Scout from, uh, Scout from Mockingbird? Yeah, I was going to say, a little lady called Harper Lee would like a word. Yeah. <laughs> right, even I knew that. One of I didn't. Hang on, we'll find out. Callan, did you know that? I did not. There you go. That's Callan, right. did you, do you know what To Kill a Mockingbird is? I've heard of it. I know it's a film. I don't know what happens in it. <laughs> it is a it's book. A book <laughs> that was made into a film. Still counts as a film. No, it doesn't. Moving on. One of the most popular interactions with goats at the parties is to have oh. them jump onto revelers' backs while they kneel on all fours. So technically, they're backpacking. <laughs> oh, so it just sounded like humiliation play. Okay. Student Torian Milot, twenty, said the experience was fun. And therapeutic. They're so friendly. They're just so nice to be around because you can definitely tell they love humans and are just a lot of fun. 
Despite being the same breed and age, the goats have very different personalities, Raskin says. Usually people at parties have their favourites. Some love Pippin because he's really cute, but he's the cute dumb one. Raskin says. <laughs> and then some people really like Spanky because he's more chill and quiet and they feel like they can connect with him more. I feel this is dodgy. I feel yeah. something's I think Phil's got the right line of here straight away. Especially because when you were about to say Spanky, I thought you were going to say Spanking. Yes. And that's where I was like, no, no. The goats are unfazed by loud music and crowds of people, Raskin says. Well, hang on, we, have they asked them that? Do you know, know that for sure? Because the goat can't just turn around and go, do you know what, this music is really loud and I really hate it right now. No, they're just having to endure it. So I think that's wrong of them to speak for the goats. We have been to parties where DJs with loud music and I myself was concerned about how they'd react. Pippin fell asleep and was totally calm and chill and Drugged. fine in that environment. <laughs> and it didn't really seem to hurt their ears or anything like that, she said. Or anything like that. I mean, that. This, this, this sounds like the Gaspar Noe film I just watched. I think it probably was, to be fair. You might be interested in the next bit. Before hitting the town, Raskin dresses the goats in purple lace-cuffed velvet jackets and neck rounds wrapped in their horns with brightly coloured tape for decoration and safety. This is animal We have a picture. We have a picture. That's cruel, man. I wish I hadn't seen that, eh? That's, that's... Everybody uh, in the studio is just coming disturbing. for a look. It's, um... Oh, it's adorable. Oh, that's <laughs> cruel. No, it's cruel. it's some nightmare brat former child star who's like, right, I've squandered my entire living. I'm probably a recovering drug addict. I know. I'm going to exploit animals because I need money. I want a goat party now. The caption below this image. A goat stands on a woman's back during a party in Los Angeles, <laughs> California, United States, September 26, 2018, in this still image taken from a video. Oh, so he jumped on a backpack. Yes. Right. <laughs> And the last line of this story, and then they're ready for the party, you've just got to goat too. Hey. Uh, I mean, okay. I would I would have been like, this woman's parties are the goat. Reporting. You know, like the expression, greatest of all time. Yes. Reporting by Jane Ross, editing by Bill Tarrant and Cynthia Osterman. It took two people to edit that article. <laughs> it, just, it took none of them to report it to animal cruelty. I just, lovely. I think the reason for that is maybe the first editor looked at it and went, nope, not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I have standards. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to have a quick wrap-up of the F-16? I knew, yes. I knew you wouldn't be able to resist it. This is from Paul Soldra. Sorry, Paul what? Soldra. S-Z-O-L-D-R-A. Soldra. So quite close to soldier. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> a maintenance worker accidentally fired a 20mm Vulcan cannon from an F-16 jet he was working on in Belgium's Florence Air Force Base earlier this week, destroying another F-16 whilst damaging another aircraft nearby, reporting according to multiple media reports. So not actually, just according to. Yes. <laughs> a worker apparently opened fire across the flight line whilst performing maintenance on October the 11th, according to Avio News. The F-16 that was racked by cannon fire caught fire and exploded since it was loaded with fuel and being readied for an afternoon sortie, according to Scramble magazine. Scramble magazine. <laughs> you can't help thinking what a disaster this could have been. Colonel Didier Pallon. The base commander told a Belgian news television station. That Seems to be a lot of sources going happen. on. Mm -hmm. This this did not happen. The Belgian Air Force confirmed a fire broke out on the base during maintenance work, causing one plane to burn whilst causing collateral damage well, in a second, without story. mentioning cannon fire as being the cause. That's the true story, isn't it? So there's a fire, 
and then there's someone's try someone's like, How's the fast Oh well I heard this happen. Then it'll go around mm. like Chinese whispers and then like Bob from maintenance <laughs> pressed the button because he was having a cigarette and reading the magazine. <laughs> like it's like it's lies, it's lies. Belgium's okay. Ministry of Defence said in a statement that two technicians suffered hearing injuries and retreat hearing oh. injuries and were treated on no. the spot whilst an investigation into the incident had been launched. The Belgian Air Force did not respond to a request from task and purpose. Here are the photos of the infinite courtesy of Scramble magazine. I mean, I can't actually Bobby, that see... that was a computer game. <laughs> I can't see any cannon no. fire going on in this. Lies. Just, that's just a fire. Oh, we have graphics, though. Somebody just painted a big oh. red <laughs> circle about the one playing. I'm glad we get the <laughs> artist's impression. That picture. <laughs> <laughs> That is the worst artist impression I've seen. So. <laughs> Look, guys, this totally happened. Look, I drew a picture. Was the was what was the plane called again? An F sixteen. So the rocket that was allegedly fired was called no, a Vulcan. It's, it's a Vulcan cannon which fires twenty millimeter big shells. Oh, okay. I feel like he was waiting for a joke there. No, 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 no. I just wondered what came first the Vulcans in Star Trek or the Vulcan Cannon like which was named after which oh my god what is your Callan <laughs> Callan, Callan. Is your okay. first of all Callan Vulcan is a Roman god from thousands of years ago who it's is... also an island off the coast of Sicily and it's also uh, who the god of is it foundry foundry yeah, it's, iron so it's, um, weapons Hephaestus in Greek yes. Vulcan in Roman so it's like he, he was the this smith is where of the gods volcano the word volcano comes from because it's like the god of yeah smithing yes. and, and fire and, and, and iron and, and, and all that so yes. there's a few different uses of the word I mean I, I feel like Canon's probably learned about three we, we should have like a, a vocabulary test at the <laughs> end you, of this podcast have you ever heard of vulcanised rubber no <laughs> I feel I feel that like like he's listened to that story. He's not absorbed it, but like certain <laughs> words have gone in, like, and just okay. mi- like formed into a ball with some things that he knew, and then just gone out of his mouth like that. Like he like, like created I like, something. We talked about jets on fire, and your first thought is Star Trek. Mm-hmm. How, how does that even get there? We got Wait, past the fact. Mind goes, Star Trek real. <laughs> <laughs> just as FYI, like if a coat has a Borg collar, it's not going to assimilate you. <laughs> Benny from ABBA is not a cyborg. <laughs> so what did you... And those other sort of Klingons are definitely not an alien race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what did you take from those two news stories today? Right, well, the rocket one was a bit anticlimactic. It's not a rocket, it's a cannon, <laughs> it's a different thing. <laughs> that was a bit anticlimactic. Because um, it was probably just a fire, but the goats sound really cool, and I want a goat party, and I want a pet goat now. Oh my god! Literally like the children's birthday party <laughs> at the start of Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> where he brings the petting zoo to the house. I was thinking more. Remember the Dennis the Ameri- Menace American film? Oh, they made a that's Dennis the kind the of party, film. but it was just called Dennis, and yes. it was not, it did not bear any resemblance to Dennis the Menace. Yes, Callum, there's two versions of Dennis the Menace. There's both an American for... version and a British yes. version. Both simultaneous released in the same week with no crossover yep. as well. Yep, completely made up separately. Why? The... <laughs> well, why not? Because <laughs> sometimes these things happen. <laughs> yes, it's called Serendipity, Callum, which is also a movie with Kate. 
Bosworth. Beckinsale. Watch it. I feel like the references on this on the show are getting more obscure. Serendipity. John Cusack. Me, me, Bebe's kids. Like, what's going on with our referencing? Like, Serendipity is Viv's favorite movie. Oh, it's so bad. And I, you know, I stand a rom com, but they are, it's just not a good film yes. at all. But you got John Cusack in it, and that's all Viv's there. Yeah, but he's not that great anymore, is he, Ryan? Yeah, but that's all Viv's there for. He's, well, what's his best role? Rob that, from High Fidelity. Considering that's the person she loves the most, and she's ended up with me, and it's kind of like <laughs> <laughs> I don't even look like the Piv. We know, she, we know what she thinks of you, James Corden. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> if I'm anything, I'm another fact medium. Seth Rogen, that one. Seth that Rogen's one. even worse. Oh, Get us out! No, 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 no. He's 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 okay. James Corden is bad. Jade, but James Corden is oh. James Corden is below Michael McIntyre, and I have hatred for that man. Oh, I'm rich. Oh. Yeah, it's like it's like you can listen to an entire set and they'd be like, "Wait, where was the actual joke? Where was the setup? Where was the punchline? Or is it just like the punchline and the joke was that he's got a wife and kids? I mean, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> and he, they do things. He's just fat." from Austin Powers that is James Gordon's <laughs> entire act look at my belly that's all he does <laughs> oh let's get in a car and sing a song with somebody famous and, oh I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like I'm gonna kiss other male celebrities and isn't that hilarious because oh my god like gays lol uh, I, I'm such an ally yeah and he won like, an ally award <laughs> I know and then the tweet got like very quickly taken down and I take partial credit for that <laughs> don't take partial it was all me. I, it, you know, I am. I am launching a campaign of terror against James was Corden. It, I'm coming the, for you. Was it in the special group chat on Twitter that we've talked about previously? <laughs> it, yeah, it was on like, the on, on the uh, the entire LGBTQ population of the world is on a secret group chat, and we talk about all of you. <laughs> it's the councillors' form. Yeah. <laughs> it's very democratic, though. Everybody gets a vote. Yes, but some votes are more important. <laughs> All right, let's not 1984 this week. <laughs> Actually, Ryan, that was a reference to Animal Farm that you made. Mm-hmm. Not 1984. George Orwell, it's close enough. Can, can, George Orwell Farm? was a person, uh, by the way. I know about Animal Farm. Oh, God. Oh, so, God. Animal Farm. Actually, yeah. going, I went there when I was seven. I was <laughs> the chicks. There's goats there, Callum. <laughs> no, Animal Farm is like that book about, like, politics but it's about like farm animals and there's like a hierarchy of the farm animals was that recorded yes because I am sending that to the publishers to put on the back of the book because that's going to sell it it's that film that's that's about politics and like farm animals politics and like you know and and 1984 is that other one about politics where it's like um, like government control and like it's a dystopian future, or as currently known, Brexit. Yeah. And this that's why, so you know, that's why the TV show Big Brother is called Big Brother. Yes. Because Big Brother is watching you. Yes. The Circle was not a book by George Orwell, just in case. <laughs> What's the Love Island was not a book, a book by George Orwell. But it could have been, because that is another kind of dystopian future. <laughs> that's not the Hunger Games, that's the Thirst Games. Oh. <laughs> Moving swiftly along. So I'm chatting to the amazing Mr. Graham Woods, also known as Jaws19 Show on Twitter and Jaws19 on YouTube. Hi, Graham. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. It's been a while since we've checked into it. You've been a busy, busy boy. I have been very busy, yeah, since 
Well, I think I can't even remember when I appeared on the show, but it was, it was like about seven years ago. <laughs> I think it was the Mission Impossible episode about what three months ago now. It was, wasn't it? Our, our uh, homage to Mission Impossible, which is great fun. Really enjoyed making that. I still think I'm tired from that running. <laughs> yeah, I haven't quite recovered. My knees still ache. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of stairs that day. That was. <laughs> really were. But you're here to tell us about your amazing new first crowdfunded project. Yes, I am. In one of the more ill-advised ideas I've ever had, back in, oh, it must have been the middle of September, mm-hmm. uh, I decided that I was going to make a, a horror film, a short horror film. And then I also had the idea of, why don't I crowdfund it? See if some of the wonderful people who follow me on Twitter or subscribe to the channel on YouTube want to get involved. And they did. Troves really did. Yeah, so I uh, I started, I just put out a little video on YouTube saying that I was going to do this. And if people wanted to donate, here was the link. And uh, off they went. And yeah, the donations started flooding in. I raised, well, several hundred pounds. And, it, and it's, it's given me the, the, yeah, the time and the resources to be able to make what I hope is going to be a fantastic little horror short. Yeah, I mean, for people who haven't, experience the joys of Jaws 19 before you usually do something like top five lists or quizzes or just a general chit chat about a specific film but this is this is giving you a chance to do something cine- cinematographic how to get that word yeah you're right my, my normal stuff is about cinema so yeah like you say I'll do like my top five favourites of this that and the other or uh, I'll do a quiz on a subject with a couple of guests or I might, I've been doing a few little essay type videos as well where I explore an idea like spaceships or time travel or a particular film so yeah this is the first sort of sort of work of fiction I've done the first real kind of film I've shot mm-hmm. which is um, terrifying <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things isn't it because you, you say to yourself well, I've watched a lot of films. How hard can it be? Yeah. <laughs> and then you realise it's really hard. Well, this is part of the joy of crowdfunding and being able to do stuff with you and other streaming services. You can, if, it's a, if it's a project that you can feel passionate enough about, you can get people involved nowadays. And Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and they're very forgiving. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's great to see that this is the kind of media support now because central funding's drying up quicker than... Uh, the Black Sea. So, it reached, yeah. But being able to reach out to an audience like you did with through Twitter or YouTube or any other social media and say, look, I want to make something and I want to make something good and I'd like your support to do it is a great way for getting people involved nowadays. It is. I definitely, I definitely think it's the future. I was, um, I was inspired by a couple of people. Um, mm-hmm. Again, who are pretty big on YouTube and Twitter. There's a guy called Paul Rose who goes under the guise of Mr. Biffo. Yeah. And he crowdfunded a show on YouTube called Digitizer the Show, which is mm-hmm. a retro gaming show. Uh, and yeah, he, again, he completely funded it through his followers and fans and has been able to make uh, a several episode, really high production value TV show with no central funding. He hasn't had to go beg into TV companies or stations or media companies or anything like that. It's all come through his fans. Yeah. And the same for Stuart Ashen, made his Game Child. Yeah, Quest for the Game Child, which was probably the best new video ever made. Absolutely, yeah. And and now he's crowdfunding a sequel. Yeah. Um. Again, 
no central funding, all through his fans, mm-hmm. uh, and it's getting made. And I, and I was inspired by that. Now, obviously, my little things not on the scale of either of those projects those yeah. those ran into the tens of thousands of pounds but i can see the appeal of it now because it does come with such comes with freedom to kind of do what you want and it also comes with a lovely sense of community that all these people have uh, put in their hard-earned cash some people put in three quid some people are putting 30 quid but it's all their own earned money to be part of the project and it's yeah. yeah, it's a lovely it's a lovely community feeling around it. Yeah, I mean, another great example is T from Bristol Brad Film Club we had on the show, I think it was last year, when uh, he was touring with uh, one of the guys from The Room, and he's done a series with a guy called Oliver Harper, who you might know. They're doing a film called Last Action Heroes, which is looking into oh, yeah. the 80s action genre, and that was all done yeah. through Kickstarter and crowdfunding. So, really it's, great it's... example of getting people's involvement in projects that... They want to get involved in as well, so this is kind of it's open door. You can you can donate, you can support the film in other ways, you can share about it, and you don't have yeah. to feel like you have to hand over money. But it's it feels like it's partly yours if you can. If that's you, the thing, isn't it? Yes, it's a, it's a shared ownership thing, isn't it? It's really nice, and that's that's why I love the the sort of the Patreon model and the Kofi model and all that kind of stuff where. Yeah, you can literally just pay for the things that you want to pay for mm-hmm. and support the people you want to support. Yeah. Um, and yet, move away from that idea of kind of centrally produced, centrally funded, huge mainstream entertainment. Or relying on advertising. Exactly, Always yeah. comes at a cost to a lot of projects. Indeed, indeed it comes at a creative cost, doesn't it? So, mm-hmm. No, no, it's, it's been lovely. And as anxiety-ridden as it has been, I'm already thinking about what I can do next in a similar way so yeah yeah it's, yeah it's been amazing well this has given you the chance to expand the cast and the crew out as well so do you want to go through mm. some of the cast and crew that you got involved well yeah normally my my cast and crew is me pointing <laughs> a camera at my face and waffling onto the camera for five minutes about whatever i choose but with this uh, and with the funding i was able to uh, get the help of some uh, actual professional people and some non-professional people who have just come along for their enthusiasm as well yeah. Uh, so yeah one of the cast members as you know is your good self you've got a prominent role in the film which oh. is fantastic as yeah. you uh, you displayed your acting talents in the mission impossible video <laughs> so i thought i thought we need to, we need to give ryan another starring role so, that's, yeah. so you're involved which is awesome and your your compadre keith is also going to be in the film i believe well you might not know this but he's going to be helping behind camera yeah. and in front of camera as well which is fantastic and um, if you don't know keith does a lot of the geeky from youtube video stuff and most of the editing so he's pretty much our film guy on geeky Women. Very talented filmmaker. He really is. Con videos and stuff that he's done on your channel are brilliant. So, yeah, really chuffed that he's got to be helping out. So, yeah, that's that's you two spoke. We've also got an amazing sound recordist called Chris Buller, mm-hmm. um, who's a YouTube veteran. She's worked with the two people I mentioned earlier, Stuart Ashens on his Barshans channel, and she's also worked with Paul Rose doing the sound for his Digitizer show and his uh, found footage series as well. And she's, she's also done a lot of independent film and TV work. Absolutely thrilled that she's going to be uh, doing, our, doing our sound recording. In terms of of actors as well we've got a local guy called Andy Hull who I used to uh, act with in my stage days at the Blue Orange Theatre and he's actually uh, been in a couple of Jaws 19 videos previously hasn't he and you've been in your Missing Persons quiz video 
which you can That's check out true. on the YouTube channel. Ah, so you're better at plugging my stuff than I am, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Andy, who you've seen in the Missing Persons quiz that Ryan just alluded to, he's going to be on screen. Also, we've got Kaz from the Blue Orange Theatre Company. Mm-hmm. Now, Kaz is an acting teacher, and she's also a stage combat teacher and choreographer. So she's going to be helping to get the action and violence in our film looking super authentic. You might be on the receiving end of some of that yourself, Ryan. So. <laughs> it's got to be better so. than my fighting skills in the last video. <laughs> hey, that was fantastic. Our toilet fight is legendary. It was brilliant. But yeah, Kaz is going to be there to help make the action look authentic and also to ensure that nobody gets really hurt. Yeah, as we've established, I'm an amateur filmmaker, so we can't just let me... Uh, let people swing bits of wood around and stuff like that. <laughs> gotta, do it, gotta do it properly. So we've got a lot of really, really interesting and excellent and talented people. And me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to tell you the plot or any give you any spoilers or anything. Oh, but no, it no, is no, a no spoilers. it is a homage to some of the favourite horror films. That yeah, there's going to be a lot in the nuts, lot lot of Easter eggs, lot of callbacks, lot of a uh, lot of fun stuff for horror fans. As it's Halloween, it's it's kind of needed. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's 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 on theme, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so just keep your eye out. Re- relive your eighties horror genre. Oh yes, yes, it's going to be great, and you, you can see it on my uh, on my YouTube channel, youtubecom slash jaws 19 show uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter at jaws 19 show I'll, well, I've been tweeting about it relentlessly, <laughs> nothing else really for the last, for the last yeah. several weeks. So yeah, it will be coming to the YouTube channel. Well, very soon, if not actually today. I mean, Saturdays is your usual release schedule, but a film of this magnitude might need a Well, yeah, we need bit. to give it, the, give it the adequate amount of space and, and ceremony. And polish, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> need to cut out all my fluffs at some point, yeah. That's all right. Man. I'm sure the gag reel's probably going to be about three times longer than the actual <laughs> film at this rate. Graham, always brilliant to catch up with you. Again, if you do want to catch Graham, always on Jaws19 show on Twitter. You're very active on there, so if you give him a tweet, you'll probably quickly respond. Oh, always. I re- respond and reply and like pretty much everything. Yeah, I spend, I spend rather, rather too much time on Twitter. <laughs> and if you want to enjoy Graham's plethora of work, check out Jules 19 show on YouTube. Plenty of stuff there. You're also a member of Yawn Hub, so if you go to the Yawn Hub website, you can check out the other sh- shows associated with Graham. That's, uh, yeah, again, you are better at giving my stuff than I am. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, it's great to chat to you, and we'll catch you again soon. Likewise. Thanks, Ryan. See you soon. It's the clash of the movies, it's the thrill of the fight Rising up to the challenge of our rivals And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night Cause he's watching with us all, it's the film fight I sense a copyright strike coming on soon I love that you were reading that, like you prepared those lyrics And that's the best you came up with It's still <laughs> minus five points because he's still not brought his Omnicord either No, well, I have to work, he has literally lost his mind if anybody finds it, you could uh, write into the Geeky Grummy Show and let me know where it is. Uh, <laughs> As it's this... not the features, that it? It's I'm done now. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm going to do that every time we do it. Right, to recap this feature that Keith came up with last week, we all pick a film on a certain topic. So this week is horror films. And we all have to give our case why this is the best type of that film. And then we vote at the end to say which one is the best of those films. Is that right? That's pretty much it. Yeah. It might it might change and adapt as time goes on. But it's all good. Right, start us off. 
Lee, you can have your first film. Ah, uh, you've been thrown mm. to the lion. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know he's done homework, that's why. Yeah, well, I kind of narrowed it down to, to seven and then narrowed that down to five and I'm still like, sorry. Um, I'm going to go with The Shining as my film. Right. And my reasoning for this is because when it comes to horror films, the thing that I always like is when there's you see less of what's going on and everything's implied and the shining is one of those films that is very good at implying the horror so for what a for a big chunk of that film what kubrick was doing with the hotel and the the scenery and everything was subtly moving things around and the layout of the hotel doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and things like that so it creates this sort of on a subconscious level uh creates this sort of Red. Yeah. Something's wrong. Something's not right. As well as obviously the st- steady decline in sanity that Jack Nicholson experiences and all the rest of it. But it's, it's the same it's, that kids yeah. have him. Yeah. <laughs> Callum um, is googling what is the shining as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the shinning? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it says it's, it's the segment of The Simpsons the Treehouse. Um, it's not based on that episode. Just, just to recap, The Simpsons did not come first, Callum. Just in case. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's that sort of combination of this weirdness of, of how it was all shot and everything's framed, and it's just the fact that you've got Jack Nicholson's performance as well of him steadily losing his mind as it goes along, and it's it's the fact that as we kind of learn different bits about what's going on. There's this sense of, like, you're not really sure what is going on. You've got the hotel is the monster, it feels like, and it's influencing everyone in it. Mm. So it it doesn't... It's So would you say, like, Jack Nicholson's not the villain? It's just he's a byproduct of... Yeah, he's being influenced by the hotel through things like the bartender and... And like the the scene where he sees that woman in the bath as well, and oh. sort of missing. Yeah, exactly. Um, which just it comes out of nowhere, but it's things like that that add to that sense of dread of just like what the hell is going on? Why is that happening? And it's and one of those films where you can feel like your back yeah, slowly getting exactly. And I find that that's what I enjoy most about horror films is when they're like that, when they're very slow burn and mm-hmm. don't outright throw things at you and I think that The Shining does that really really well. I find it funny that you in actually interpret the house as the villain in that because mm. I always interpreted it as just his madness mm. and that everything that goes on is sort of his madness and the um, what's the young boy? Danny. Yeah, Danny and yeah. Danny's sort of imagination being mm-hmm. sort of a child and growing up with potentially an abusive father especially mm-hmm. if you've read the books. Mm-hmm. I mean Oh, there's, there's a couple of big revelations. This. Canon said something, one Canon said something intelligent. Mm-hmm. Two, that he interpreted a film and three, you had a book. Yeah. I think with that, that kind of speaks to a lot of the ambiguity of the film. It can be interpreted both ways. Mm-hmm. And it could. It's, it's very easy to argue both at the same time as well. But mm. the, the well, hotel's yeah. kind of playing off you his could, abusive nature. Kind of well, you could say that Danny's inherent in his dad's yes. psychosis with the whole shining thing yeah. and like him having the visions as well. Yeah. It's kind of like, is this the next generation? It's kind of all playing off it's each other kind of thing. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Very cool pick. Phil, next. So my first ever horror movie 
Uh, it's not my it's not my pick this week, but my first Hocus ever horror Pocus. my first my first ever horror real <laughs> like, the teenage <laughs> real horror movie was Scream, um, and so that really um, sort of set off what I loved about horror is when, when it's self referential. Um, and, and it sort of makes you aware of the rules of the genre and it makes you complicit in kind of enjoying all these kind of terrible goings on. But Scream because is better. It, yeah, well, I mean, they, they're both great. I mean, three and four. But, Four's all right. Um, but my pick is Cabin in the Woods, which is basically, that feels like the next generation of Scream where yeah. it was going beyond the slasher genre and it was looking at horror films in general, what tropes these films explore, and how it makes the audience complicit in cheering on the deaths of these kind of, you know, attractive, young, um, innocent sort of victims in the films, whether that's, you know, zombies or, or, or monsters or an evil killer mermaid, uh, as is in one scene in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really love that it kind of puts up this um, explanation for why horror films exist in the first place and why what these narratives serve. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's like for the first hour, it's actually a really good, just good old fashioned scary movie. It kind of riffs on the Evil Dead, um, but because it's a Whedon production and a, and a Drew Green Goddard Goddard yeah. um, production, it sort of has like nice. It's like self, the ultimate self-referential movies. Yeah. yeah. See, I think it's a good film, but uh, like Callan, you're a media student like me. Watching that film is kind of just a media lesson. So it's kind of like film studies wrapped up for everybody who didn't do two years of film studies. It is, it is a so it's good basically fun... Like, well, these are all the narrative conventions of mm. film wrapped up in a 90-minute enjoyable package. Whereas like, I studied it and... See, I, I, felt like, I felt like... I feel like... I don't know, for me, it was just too... It was too... Was it a bit it like it was a big finger? I know what that means. I know what, I know what you're doing here. Like, yeah. I feel like it, it is kind of... It's clever, but horror is such an easy thing to riff on. See, I I love it, but I feel like it's too self like it doesn't take itself too ser- it doesn't take itself seriously enough to be a decent horror movie. Like it's a good satire of horror movies and it's a good film. I think it's an amazing film, but I don't know if I'd say it's a good horror film. I think what I like about it is it kind of really explores what watching a comedy and watching a horror film have in common and it's that building up of tension and then releasing whether that's building up of tension and then the release of a punchline or building up tension and then having like the jump scare um and when you're watching uh, either a comedy or a horror sort of slasher film in the cinema there's that same thing where you have the moment of the you know the tension being broken and if you either people laugh or they jump and then there's sort of that like nervous like <laughs> that everyone kind of shares in afterwards and i think for me um, watching a, a film like that in a cinema it's a communal experience it's like going on a roller coaster together and that's what that film encapsulates for me very good point Guy your film pick. oh man um, I've gone for the weird arty choice as per usual <laughs> can I guess you can guess is it Suspiria it is Suspiria is it the original Suspiria well I haven't seen the new one yet so So what is this movie explaining this to me because I've never heard of this I'll take your job then trying to wrap people up we're having a moment it's kind of like get on with the show (laughs) right Suspiria is a classic 70s it's a 70s Italian, Italian giallo is that how you say it giallo horror is it giallo or giallo one of the two what Galio? No, it's, it is Giallo. So but, it's like pioneered by Dario Gallo Argento. Argento. Um, it's a cheap film. I won't deny it. It's the 
budget of it, it doesn't look that great, you know. And there's some of the, the horror horror moments are genuinely a bit laughable now when you look back at it. But the reason I think Spear is the best horror movie of all time is because it the it soundtrack does, soundtrack is amazing because of Goblin, like they create tension with and horrible sounding squelchy music which is not nice um but it's just the way it looks on screen so with a horror you expect it to all be dark and scary and you know like mood the certain lighting effects that you'd have in a horror film things shadows and things like but not with spirit it's just disgusting to look at it's like looking at the haribo sweets on the table they are it, it's like that color scheme it's just horrible yellows reds blues greens it's like a technical nightmare so when something horrible's happen it's going to be like bright and garish and it's just disgusting to look at and that's what I like about it is just this general you actually see more because of the colour but the colour creates this horrible tension like you don't understand why these rooms are lit in this certain way it gives this general weird atmosphere and ambience because it's all about a bunch of girls in a ballet school and a coven of witches so it's quite an interesting idea for a horror film but it's just genuinely the way you look at it and the way you, you take it in you just feel a bit gross by it all it's just a horrible horrible watch so is it one of those you feel cleansed after watching it, basically? I wouldn't say feel cleansed. <laughs> but it's just a genuinely, like, I, I for me, like, 70s giallo, giallo, I don't know what you say. Yeah. Uh, those sort of horror films are the ones I enjoy the most. I like what they were doing. They've always got wicked soundtracks. And I think this is, like, the finest example. And there is an awesome remake coming, apparently. From um, the guy who did Call Me By Your Name, and it's yes. got, is it Dakota Johnson and... I, I, I really want to watch the original before I see the, the yeah. new one, though. But looking at this new version, they've stripped away the horrible colour scheme. They've stripped away something else. I think they're they, It's a more modern version, I it's think. It's more modern, but then at the same time I look at it, it does look like Suspiria. But I have heard it's delightfully messed up. Apparently they showed a scene at a, um, a, a film festival, and it involves Dakota Johnson dancing around a room. The way she moves her legs and moves her arms, there's a hidden room behind that room apparently and there's a girl in the room and a Dakota Johnson dances this girl's getting slammed and smashed against all the walls up to the point where at the end she's just a crumpled mess on the floor covered apparently her blood urine and it's done and drool it's apparently it's hard to watch so I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that lovely somebody... family friendly movie so get everybody <laughs> down <laughs> but I'm looking forward to seeing how they take a film that I really like which to be fair isn't gruesome really isn't like viol- horribly violent and gross and stuff like that uh, and, t- and twist it into this quite disturb what could be disturbing because I've heard it's excellent so but yeah the original for me it's perfect because it's just it's horrible to look at and you but you can't take your eyes off Film Fight Round 2 Ding 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 That sounded like like Street Fighter like Round 2 Fight That's it Alright oh, it didn't get any better than I did <laughs> Start us off then, Callan. Not Care Bears a movie. What's your scariest movie? <laughs> okay, so I find the scariest film for me is Bambi. <laughs> Don't be silly. It's Thomas the Tank Engine when he gets knocked off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> no, that um, is scary, man. For Thomas, that is. There is some very dark episodes of Thomas is, the Tank That is dark for There's some kids. More scary you know. Henry gets locked in the tunnel. Yes, yeah. that is. Yeah. The he gets noise. bricked in. That's the worst part. Yeah, he gets bricked in and horrid. left. Anyway, back to mine. So I was I was stuck between two, both from the same franchise, but I'm ultimately going to go for the original. Scary movie. (laughs) (laughs) Move on, Ryan. What's yours? (laughs) No, 
So, okay. Uh, you get. I knew you'd all judge me for this, but go on. Egg for most things. So. <laughs> okay, tell me why this is a good horror film because I don't believe it. But right. crack on. It's a masterpiece in what it achieves with so little. I mean, you use masterpiece so willingly there, Callum. <laughs> I mean, you you did film studies. You can appreciate what is you done with film, such yeah. a little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I mean, I'm just looking at Philip Ellis at the corner. He just looks—he looks sad right now. He I'm looks just, like a sad puppet. I'm just waiting for the case for why this is a good horror film, specifically. Right, it's a good horror film because I think, right, <laughs> horror tropes. Okay, is that you always have these people who are, who are <laughs> supposed to perceive as being sort of morally unjustified, them wrong in their actions that are to be perceived as punished, which is why they're sort of tortured in the way they are. Okay? You know, we get the stereotypes of... Oh, so you're saying, like, uh, if you're, you're, like, promiscuous, then you're punished by being killed, all that kind of thing. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So, so basically, because Carrie Elvers was in The Princess Bride and did nothing afterwards, that's why he's being punished in this movie. Uh, (laughs) He was in Robin Hood, Prince and... What was it? Men in Men Tights? Men in Tights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Prince of Tights. But, but anyway, anyway. It's <laughs> a different movie. That's, that's Nick Nolte, that's a whole but what Saw does differently is that people are offered the chance of redemption. Okay? In the, unlike other horror films where they're just killed off, you actually see some sort of attempt to um, re-adjustify these people. I feel like this is you just reminding the police while you commit these crimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just think that of all the sort of like weird like messed up horror villains he is the most interesting because he is the most sort of psychotically rational it's like that Thanos idea of like it's so logic it's so logic based and dehumanising and de-emotional it's just purely on a logic basis I can kind of see your point because it goes back to the medieval times of trial by fire and it's kind of like it's it's basically if you can complete the task, then you are redeeming the eyes of. But it's, but it's hom- not even it's not even redeeming the ta- it's not even achieving the task because especially I've, I don't feel this I mean, is well handled pro- in the first one. I mean, the whole problem with the Saw films is even the redemption is pretty much guaranteed to kill or mutilate you mm-hmm. anyway. So there's no real redemption in it because it's just it's just torture for torture's sake, and, and that's the kind of my issue with these. My problem with Saw as a franchise is that it was the first sort of of real thing that popularized torture porn because then that came before Hostel and all of these kind of like uh, captivity torture based horror films where there was no tension there was no suspense it was just oh here is like a guy like tearing someone to pieces with like a a chainsaw Mm -hmm. or something I I think the first film is okay because it's a nice riff on Seven I think that I, I picked I, the first film just purely because it's the first in the franchise. I think but that's the second the way you one lose it then it's the franchise because Saw is the point where now we have this horrible thing that every Halloween there's this franchise and there's another and, one rolled out and apart, like and paranormal, always yeah. it's like, like paranormal activity took over that slot and it's conjuring got, yeah. like they started off that trend of like and like the first saw, when you look back at it, isn't particularly gory. And yeah, okay, no. it's an it is an interesting concept. But then the ones after that are like, you did something wrong, so we're just going to make you look gross in the way. I mean, I and think, it's just like violence for the sake of it. I think the first two are the best in the franchise because of what the second one does with time jumping. 
in giving a in spoiler alert to the end if you haven't seen it but obviously in the fact that it actually isn't taking place in real time and that he gets to the house to find out that actually this happened days ago and that his child was safe all along i think i think we saw like the first like I said the first film was a good concept but then they ruined it by doing more i think it was a what a good a, an okay one off as a tribute to seven i think for me what the trouble with Saw is is that I'd seen Cube yeah which was before, exactly the same concept yeah. a similar premise executed yeah. in a I would say a slightly better way Saw for me just didn't kind of do more than just be yeah let's torment people and that's, yeah. that, that's the problem for me with a lot of that, that torture porn genre is that mm-hmm. it's just the, the horror is the we're going to do horrible things to people and we're going to show you yeah I mean the the, the whole point of a some of the horror movies we've mentioned it's mainly jump scares and stuff like that mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the gradual build to something yep. horrible happen and Saw the first film does have that kind of existential mm-hmm. dread the horrible build but from then on it's just kind of we're going to throw things at the screen and mm-hmm. they're going to be unpleasant and all you're going to do is just react to the unpleasantness rather mm-hmm. than actually have any decent kind of storytelling or, or script or any kind of view except let's, let's watch some people suffer Mm-hmm. If you want to vote for calendar, <laughs> you can. Uh... <laughs> All right, Keith, your your selection. Well, to be honest, the whole horror genre proved to be a very difficult one to narrow down to just one film. I think Lee kind of said he'd got lots and lots, and I kind of skirted yeah. over some of the prime examples um, that people would talk about when they talk about this genre. And what I found myself doing was circula- circling a, a one director. And his uh, and his set of films, right. um, who'd done quite he'd done quite a few uh, horror films. One of them, kind of a cast iron classic, that everybody will, will know about. But uh, in the end, I settled on uh, his version of a pre- it was a remake of another film, right. which it's was not, it's not Gus Van Sant's Psycho, is it? No, which was <laughs> based on a book. Uh, but I've gone for John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. Um, Good call. Purely because... That was one of my uh, possibilities. Yeah, purely because it's a film for me that is horrific. It features a monster. There's a definite creature. There's a definite thing uh, which is kind of tormenting our cast. But the, the horror is generated from the paranoia and the fear that's generated within mm-hmm. this small group of men. Um, they, they're kind of in this Antarctic research station. And most of the horror and attention doesn't come from the very graphic and horrific robot in animatronics that are created mm. for the film mm-hmm. it's that interaction between them and that whole sense of i can't trust you i fear you, you the paranoia and the and what for me horror often does is reflect our our society's own fears of the other of, of not being able to understand different things and the fear of those things and how it makes us the monsters and a, and a horror film for me is the one that really reflects the monster in us and that is something the thing does for me I think um, what sort of stands out off the back of that is the fact that these are guys who work together as well so they know each other quite yeah. well and it's that sort of breakdown of the trust that they did have so that's I think it's that whole the whole society it's almost yeah. like a reflection of society it's, that, it's when that you introduce this, yeah. this paranoia and, and I mean frighteningly you know, 36 years later, the, the whole idea of if we sow this seed of we can't trust you or you're different or whatever it is, that whole society breaks down to everybody's pointing the finger and not trusting anybody. And, and it doesn't even um, give you a resolution. 
you, your yeah, end that's, scene gets to the And that's exactly point where... what I was about to say, is that ambiguous ending yeah. is pretty much one of the best mm-hmm. horror movie endings ever because you don't know where it's going to go from that. And no. they've never gone back and backfilled it and I'm really grateful that nobody's ever made a sequel. There's a prequel, which is actually a really decent prequel. Yeah. But the fact that they left that ambiguous ending of... You do not know what's going to happen after this and moment. You're, st- you're left. That there's no cathartic release at the end. Most horror films, it's yeah. like the ve- the evil or the villain is defeated. In this, it's like it's yeah. still here. Where where is it? What's going to happen? Who who is going to yeah. kill who? How are you going to survive? And that's that's quite horrific. That and idea the is still there. Fan theories that have appeared after yeah. that one. And it's whole oh, is it him? Because he's not. Got air? It's no no condensation when he's breathing. Is it? Oh yeah, the whole the whole stuff that's come as uh, as a yeah. result, and it was quite a bit of a box office flop when it came out. Yeah. Um, but it's for me, it's just one of those ones you can revisit really, really well. The performances are outstanding. Kurt Russell is a career high uh, in that, but I just love that sense of paranoia and fear. It's it's just, I mean, if anybody's ever read the book, the book's called Who Goes There. Yeah. And that's quite good. And then the Howard Hawks film came out around the same time as things like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers so it was again yeah. kind of that kind of um, Russian communist fear yeah. which, uh, but it replays every every so often it's it's a film that still delivers now yeah and you can watch it nowadays yeah mm-hmm. you could watch it nowadays and there's no mm-hmm. kind of the the body horror that you have in it I don't think has actually aged that badly at all mm-hmm. well the effects look stunning now and the, yeah. because they're physical they're real I think if it would have been yeah. CGI or whatever I mean those practical effects are amazing yeah, yeah. I mean the, when the blood leaps out of the petri dish it's just yeah you know it's a leap out of your skin like I mean that whole thing with the chest cavity as yeah. well I mean that's that's still to this day that I still jump at that regardless yeah. but at the end of the day the monster is the least frightening thing about it yeah okay Time for my film. And I've picked something that's not traditionally known as a horror film, but I'm going to try and sell it as a horror film to you. And it's Watership Down. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you already. That is a horror film. Because I watched that as a kid and it gave me nightmares, which is the straight up criteria. It came out in 1978, given a U rating by the BBFC, which was actually quite quite protested at the time I mean this is a film with blood gore death and it's kind of a very 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 terrifying experience for a child and the reason I'm saying it's a horror film because it is a horror film for children how it's made and it's given children concepts which they're probably not able to deal with at the time that time in their life I'd say actually the book is not really a children's book it's a young adult's book and it's probably an early example of what a young adult's book would have been I think it's it's definitely a thread through a lot of Richard Adams's yeah. written work is they're not kids books in the tradition of no. you know Enid Blyton or something they are quite yeah, as I say it's the first young adult books that I'd say is a yeah. series of books and it's kind of it's pitching to the teenager kind of thing and the film, it's an amazing film, it's got a brilliant voice cast, Richard Bryce is stunning as Fiverr in this film. It was sold as a children's film at the time of release, and I think it was still sold on TV as a children's film, but it's kind of, if you walk into that at the age of four or five, which is the first time I watched it, sleepless nights for weeks, and it is, it's a dark film. From the very start, you get this view of the rabbit apocalypse happening, and that's what sets off this journey of them. And it's just a despairing, desolate journey for the entire time of the film. There is no let-up. There is 
there's the scene with the hawk, there's the scene with the snare, you have the farmer, you have rabbits fighting rabbits, you have a totalitarian state with one of the rabbit warrens that they go to, and it's just kind of, it's so strong, and it's so, even the artwork and the cinematography, it's a very dark film for the entirety of the thing, there is no let up in it, there is no bright side to that movie at all, and we're all stunned in the room. I I, I like the idea you, you put forward that like a children's film can be horror, yeah. Um, because I think that one of the reasons that horror is so popular and that we keep returning to it is that um, whether it's a novel or a, or a film, it's uh, horror is a, spa- a safe space in which we can explore the things that scare us in real life, you know, death, loss and, um, and, and other kind of big ideas. And I think that's one of the issues with pitching what Ship Downs as a children's movie because at this time in life when you're watching that film, if you're four or five and it's been really shown to you at that age... Your brain is not ready to handle these concepts. It's it's just a dark, dark journey for the entirety of the film, and I don't think when I watched it, I wasn't really capable of understanding what was going on. I think it hits on that on a, a very kind of old trope that a lot of the most horrific stories I ever read or had any knowledge of were children's stories. I mean, if you look at the works of Han Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm, yeah, and take, taking not the kind of Disney-fied versions, but the original the, versions, the dark where people fairy have tales, like yeah. molten metal shoes fused to their feet yeah. as part of the thing. So a lot of and the woodcutter kid killing and, people with his yeah, yeah, a lot of those kind of stories, you know, the, the Red Riding Hood and stuff, which is kind of, again, revisited with Angela Carter and mm-hmm. uh, Company of Wolves and stuff like that. So I think kids' things are often some of the most horrific stories that you can get but yeah. they just they get away with it because people think it's it's for kids i mean you look at a lot of the most traumatic most people's tr- most traumatic memories will be from childhood events people will think talk about yeah. bambi being mm. you know her mom being shot in the film yeah. so i think adult horror often gets away with stuff because it's it's just and, gory rather and, than actually horrific and i think this is why i picked this movie because it's a film that's been given to all ages as this is a family movie to watch and we'll put it on on a sunday at 2 p.m but the contents itself and the actual storyline is horrific so to wrap up shall we recap our films lee i picked the shining phil cabin in the woods guy Speria. keith the thing callan <laughs> and myself was watership down so I think we'll throw a poll up on Twitter and you can vote and we'll leave it open for a week so tell us what you think is your scariest movie it is time for your week in geek what's going on in the local area before that as usual I shall hand over to Mr Keith Bloomfield for his comic of the week so just the one this week and I'm going to pick a new title from uh, Black Mask mm. who are the publishers of uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank <laughs> and, hey. uh, this time I am picking writer uh, Magdalene Viziago's mm-hmm. uh, and artist Becca Farrow's Sex Death Revolution. Right. Um, so this one, I'll give you the blurb. It says, life is a story. Here, hers is being rewritten. Still reeling from the sudden collapse of her cover, Manhattanite sorceress Esperanza tries to rebuild, but everyone in her life is saying she's done and said things that never happened, terrible things. Before she knows it, she's becoming someone entirely different, someone she used to be once upon a time. Life is full of ch-ch-ch changes in this urban fantasy from Eisner-nominated writer and Becca Farrow. Can I just ask, is this before or after she walked into the bank with the three other kids? This is unrelated <laughs> in every way. 
to the, uh, the other awesome Black Mask comic, which I recommended highly, and you should go out and buy in its collected edition right now. And what's it called? Four Kids Walking a Bank, but this one is called Sex Death Revolution. Mr. Ellis, podcast of the week. Well, as it's Halloween, I thought I'd uh, get a little genre fair for you. So, um, you know, I love my, my audio dramas. And here's mm-hmm. another one from Definitely Human. It is called The Monster Hunters. Ooh. Take a trip back to swinging London in the early 1970s and meet Roy Steele and Lorimer Chesterfield. Together, they are the Monster Hunters. Their mission is to protect the country from vampires, werewolves, and a whole pantheon of unmentionable terrors. Taking its cue from the classic period of British horror and adventure, the 60s and 70s, The Monster Hunters is a comedy adventure series written by and starring Peter Davis and Matthew Woodcock. Ooh, sounds very interesting. Is that Peter Davis of classic Doctor Who fame? That's Peter Davison. Lee. Yes. Video game of the week. Okay. Uh, quite an appropriate one this week. Um, it is uh, Call of Cthulhu. It's coming out Ooh. just in time for Halloween. Um, it's a sort of horror adventure Looks kind of like a first-person point-and-click with like yes. some RPG elements. Cause is it, it is going to be like add them out and madness kind of based around? Yeah, I think so. It's sort of based around the Call of Cthulhu tabletop RPG. Right. So... Um, it's sort of drawing bits and pieces from that more than the original of Craftworks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's from the same people who did. Um, I think it's from the same people who did the Sherlock Holmes games, right? The various different ones that have been out over the last few years. Um, it's looking pretty good, so that would be my video game of the week. Interesting. I will mm-hmm. check that out. I bought you all a treat. Oh, great. Oh. Oh, oh, treat thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did pick Trick in the Splatfest, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Monster Laboratory. Oh, I can smell them already. Oh, Monster scene. They are Body Bits. Strawberry-flavoured gummy sweets. You know, we walked in here and I said something smells like strawberry in the corridor. That was it. Right, is there any vegetarians in the room? I, I've just become a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Don't I, lie. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you ask us if we're vegetarian, Ryan? What, are we, what is in this? Is there actually body bits in it? <laughs> the, the, the two things on the back are, can you count all the spiders, eyes and bats on this pack? Answers are below. Batty facts. <laughs> Send me some batty facts. <laughs> I, feel, I feel sick already. <laughs> there are over a thousand different bat species. Bats can live for over 20 years. Bats use echolocation to guide themselves through the dark. So there is a choice of eyeballs, ears, and eyeballs and ears. Well, they're different colours. I don't want this. Do you want an eyeball or an ear? I don't really want to eat. Well, if nobody else is going to go for it, I'll, do, I'll uh, presenter's choice. Ryan, you pick, and I'll eat it. I'll have oh, what, there's I'll some have fingers what, as well. Do you want a finger? I'll have whatever <laughs> Keith doesn't have. Right. I'll have whatever Keith doesn't have. You can have an ear. Phil, eyeball, ear, or finger? Ah, uh, give me the eyeball. You want an eyeball? Do you want a green or a red? I don't care. <laughs> just, just let's just get this over with. Lee? I'll take an eyeball as well. They do proper smell. smell. Guy, I don't oh. want to do this. I can't even open mine. Tell you what, you can have Ow. a finger. I don't want to eat this. I'm having enough trouble trying to get the thing open. <laughs> I just look at it. I don't want that right in my mouth. Go on. I don't want to put that in my mouth. Come on. Oh, it's all right. It's like a, it's like a Percy pig. Oh. How did you open it? yours? Mm. Oh, mine's a foot actually, not a finger. 
You just pull. Camp. Do you need me to open the I've done pack? It. I've done it now. I've done it. There we go. It's distinctly lacking in any kind of flavour. No, I don't like mm. that. Ingredients: Very cheery. sugar, yeah, glucose syrup, water, beef gelatin, acidity regulator, citric acid, and malic acid, sodium citrate, pectin, palm oil, E129, E102, E110, E113. E one seven one may have an adverse effect on activity and attention in children, so we shouldn't oh, have no. given it to Callan. I think if kids, kids, if you're out there and some evil person tries to foist these onto you in your um, trick or treat pots, you just t- just toilet roll their house because you have been <laughs> quite. Um, or there, there is a disgusting aftertaste. <laughs> or just play knockdown ginger. Uh, no, it's perfect just, for monster parties. Apparently, oh, it just no, tastes oh, yeah, like yeah, bland those jelly. Monster parties that we're having every weekend. Are these the ones that you're inviting some goats to? Yeah. <laughs> Did you all enjoy those? No. no. <laughs> I have, to have a jelly man to no. get rid of the taste. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Abrami Show this week. Phil, where can we find you online? You can find oh, me on Twitter. Just blank him. Just blank him. <laughs> Don't send him any messages. Just ignore him. Oh guy. I mean, honestly, mute just, him. Just, just, <laughs> if Report I could, him. if I could mute you in real life, like that Black Mirror episode, do you not think I would? <laughs> um, you can Phil find is me, a six. You are a three. You <laughs> can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L and Ellis with two. Keith, where can we find you? We're not reaching up from horrible sweets. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you can find me mostly <laughs> as at Hardlook underscore Hotel on Twitter. Uh, just remove the underscore. Pretty much everywhere else. Lee, where can we find you? You can find me at the cheap ferret on Twitter. Guy, don't wanna not turn it. Guy underscore Halford on Twitter. Vinyl Guy H on Instagram. He takes pictures of plastic discs and he wants you to worship him for it. Yeah, just mute don't, him. Don't block him. Don't that way, you that way you'll never know. Follow me. I don't need follow. Don't want follow me. <laughs> no singing this week, you. I'm not We've already to. had a horrible enough episode without <laughs> having the horror of your singing. <laughs> Go My on. singing's great. No, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat at Dane's Radio, all one word. Stop and trying to make Snapchat a thing. <laughs> it's just if people it's want it. It's not a thing. And on my new and improved website, danescallan.wixsite.danescallan. Can you repeat that for me again? How many times can you get your name into your own website title? It's still I mean, a dot wixsite as well, so it's not. <laughs> It's like having a geospace. It's because when he logs onto YouTube and they go, I've just created an awesome awesome new website in VIX. Do you want him to see how? It's like having a GeoCities website, isn't it? <laughs> My website's called calendanes.calendanes.calendanes.wix.calendanes.calendanes.com <laughs> forward slash calendanes. <laughs> Just is just the, like just buttons of your face like dancing back and forth like press my buttons visit my website is it like a, a episode for um, a website full of gifts from the early two thousand Ziggy Stardust is a real please person. sign my guest book <laughs> does Fallout Boy start playing automatically as you log on to the web photographic evidence of him like proving that Ziggy Stardust is real <laughs> I saw conspiracy him. board I was at some eighties retro party and Ziggy Stardust was there I took his photo. You can find me. I don't know. If he comes to see your trick or treat and report him to the police. <laughs> Do not eat Ryan's body bits. <laughs> my public health warning. Please don't eat my body bits. <laughs> you can find me at Ryan Parish. You can find the food stuff at Brummingham. And you can find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, 
YouTube. Facebook, YouTube. With the new Jaws 19 video. Yes, and check out Jaws 19 show as well. Hmm? But pretty much that's it. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Callum's got a face that's going to give me a nightmare. If Ryan ever asks to take me anywhere to eat food, I might refrain from going because <laughs> that's what you make us eat in the studio. Phil got very nice granite banana when he went. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A what? A, a what? Does anyone else feel a strange sensation in their tummy?